0: Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics, bail reform and changes to the criminal code.
1: That's our commitment. We're confident that we can do it, and we will do it.
0: The provinces and territories are united. They say bail reform is needed, and they want tighter rules. Coming up, we'll speak to the federal justice minister about his meeting with his provincial and territorial counterparts. Also, another positive job report with 22,000 jobs added in February. But will this bit of good news lead to bad news when the Bank of Canada makes its next rate decision? We'll speak to economist Jim Stanford. And...
2: Canadians can be reassured
0: in our government, that we take this issue seriously. Ottawa starts investigating a foreign agent registry. Will that move do anything to assure Canadians the Trudeau government is taking foreign interference seriously? This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. Since the start of this year, Canada's 13 premiers have been calling for reform to Canada's bail system frustrated by what they describe as a small group of violent offenders who keep cycling through the court system. On Friday, provincial and territorial ministers met with their federal counterpart, and this is in part what they had to say after their meeting. We're here because there are many Canadians who don't feel safe in their community for a variety of different reasons. We won't be able to solve all of those problems, but there were things specifically we could do today Uh, And commitments have been made
1: today that I think will prevent some individuals from being victimized.
3: And what we heard from the federal government is a clear commitment to make those legislative changes to the criminal code as early as this spring. And we're really looking forward to that.
0: Well, joining us now is the federal minister of justice, David Lametti. Minister, thank you for joining us.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: So, change is coming. Uh, details still need to be worked out, but you say consensus has been achieved uh, between you and your provincial counterparts. A uh, consensus on what?
1: Well, on a number of different, uh, a number of different ways in which we can all work together uh, to ensure that Canadians feel safe with respect to the bail process and and are safe. So. Um, there are a number of, of, of legislative uh, initiatives that, that we have uh, targeted. Um, you've, you've heard some discussion of these uh, publicly in the past, uh, past number of days uh, and weeks. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to work out the details of that. Um, but, uh, but so some criminal code changes to the parts on bail. But also a number of, uh, of non-legislative changes in terms of making the administration of, of bail more effective across Canada, and again that requires uh, collaboration. And also, the whole uh, the whole thing is framed, obviously, by charter rights and by the fact that we're we're aware that there is uh, a, a systemic. Uh, over-incarceration of Indigenous peoples, Black Canadians, other marginalized Canadians in the criminal justice system. So we are all well aware of that, and we were and we were attentive to the social determinants of, of crime as well.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now we know that the provinces and the ter- territories have said uh, that they want change in the bail system. You know, after sitting down with them, I wonder if you might describe to us what you heard. What would you say unifies their concern?
1: Well, certainly, the, the the concern is is echoed in the letter that the the premiers wrote to the prime minister, that there's a that there's a fear um, after a certain number of, of very tragic events in Canada, most most uh, recently the death of Constable Pirshala in Ontario. Um, there, there's a fear that that the system isn't treating uh, repeat violent offenders very well, or isn't. Uh, it, the bail system is too lenient with respect to those offenders or that the bail system uh, is too lenient with respect to certain crimes committed with weapons. Um, and and so these are these are concerns that have been heard, uh, I think, uh, time and time again, both from my, my provincial and territorial colleagues as well as from the, the premiers to the prime minister.
0: Now the demand for change, it does follow your government's passage of Bill C-75. Uh, did the provinces mention any concerns specifically about that piece of legislation?
1: Well, certainly it is one of the, it is, it is a framing, it was a framing uh, aspect of our discussion. Bill C-75 was uh, the product of a long uh, collaboration, uh, a long uh, series of, of, uh, of exchanges of information between the provinces, territories, and the federal government. It also framed a number of different uh, Supreme Court of Canada decisions and and incorporated them formally into our law, they were already existing in our law, and and reflected the principle in in Canadian law that you're innocent until proven guilty and that you have a presumptive right to bail. That's present in the Canadian Charter, it was present in in the Canadian Bill of Rights, it's a long-standing part of the Canadian common law tradition as well. all of those factors were there, so Bill C-75 was part of that discussion. And, and certainly working, uh, you know, working within those parameters, we've, we believe we have a, a plan moving forward.
0: Now, uh, some criminal uh, defense lawyers have expressed worry ahead of this meeting that perhaps any change that might come down the bail system would be a reaction to a few cases, and at the end of the day, end up hurting a lot more people. Uh, I'm wondering how you would respond to that concern, and whether or not it was addressed during your meeting.
1: Well, we're certainly very sensitive to those concerns. Again, what we do will have to will have to be framed by uh, charter principles and by the, the the presumptive right to bail in the Canadian criminal justice system. Um, so, I think I think that ought to allay a number of the different fears that, that have been raised, the very legitimate fears that have been raised uh, by uh, Criminal Defence counsel, uh, amongst others. Um, but there's also a very uh, legitimate view uh, from across Canada that there are a number of, of instances in which the, the, the bail system has either failed or made Canadians feel unsafe, Um, in their own communities. And so we have to, as Minister of Justice, we also have to address that. Obviously, we're framed by the Charter uh, and Charter principles, uh, common principles that we share as the result of uh, the evolution of our legal system. But we also have an ongoing duty to to make changes when when those changes are justified. And it it isn't just a matter of a few isolated cases. There have been voices from across Canada. Again, you you heard all all the provincial premiers right to the prime minister. So there's clearly a shared concern there.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So what kind of timeline are we looking at? What kind of next step might we be waiting for right now?
1: Well, I've committed, uh, I've committed to moving as soon as possible uh, to, to make those legislative changes. Again, they can't, they can't be made overnight, but we're pretty confident. Uh, that we have a basis to move forward relatively quickly through the usual uh, parliamentary uh, parliamentary processes so that that will be on me, but we will have we'll continue our discussions over Over coming days and weeks and hopefully we'll have something to announce uh, fairly soon
0: Minister Lametti, really appreciate the time again. Thank you for this Thank you The federal health minister wants a crackdown on private clinics charging for services covered by the Canada Health Act. Here is Jean-Yves Duclos' message to the provinces and the territories.
4: When we recognize that these challenges are Canadian challenges, it's easier for individual provinces and territories to then act and fight against this tendency for this technology and these improvements in in workplace uh, arrangement to lead to uh, a privatization of funding for the healthcare system.
0: Jean-Yves Duclos cracking down on private clinics charging for what should be publicly funded services. Now, Duclos is already reducing some provincial health transfers over fees for MRIs and other diagnostic testing. Quebec accounts for more than half of that $76 million clawback. Let's turn now to the matter of China's interference in Canadian elections. In addition to the two closed-door investigations ordered by the Prime Minister and the promise of a special rapporteur, the federal government announced a consultation process will begin, one that will lead, at some undetermined time, to the creation of a foreign agent registry.
2: At its core, the purpose of our consultation will seek to do three things. Foster transparency regarding legitimate foreign state lobbying and activities. Modernize existing legislative authorities to address and mitigate foreign state activities that go beyond legitimate diplomacy in an attempt to clandestinely or deceptively manipulate Canada's open democracy, economy and society. And finally, to broadly engage all Canadians in a conversation about how to protect our institutions from foreign interference in an inclusive manner that respects the diversity of our population and of course, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms.
0: And that was Marco Mendicino announcing another measure to address foreign interference in this country. Well, to talk about the issue further, we're now joined by Robert Fife. He's the Ottawa bureau chief for the Globe and Mail. Catherine Levesque is parliamentary reporter for the National Post, and Tonda McCharles, who is now the Ottawa bureau chief for the Toronto Star. Welcome, all of you. Tonda, congratulations. Thanks, Michael. Yay. Yay. Yes, yeah. thanks, now you'll Ottawa. never rest. <laughs> right. <laughs> listen. Okay. i uh, got for makeup. <laughs> I have a career because of it. Uh, anyways, listen. Let's let's talk about China mm. interference. And I'm going to begin with you here, mm. Bob, because you've seen the, the documents, the leaked documents from CSIS. When you heard the prime minister earlier this week essentially say he was not gonna do a public inquiry, he's gonna turn to these two closed door investigations and bring in a rapporteur, what was your reaction? Did you think that was an appropriate avenue?
5: No, I I agree with uh, Richard Fadden, who's the former uh, CSIS director and former national security advisor to Mr. Trudeau and and, uh, uh, Stephen Harper, as well as Jean-Pierre Kingsley, the former uh, chief electoral officer that a public inquiry is needed and it shouldn't just focus on the Chinese interference that we know about in the 2019 and 2021 elections. Chinese interference is 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 very deep. It goes municipal, it's provincial, it's federal and it. we need to have a, a public airing at this. Obviously, counterintelligence investigations are going to have to be held behind closed doors and whoever, if it presumably be a judge, would be able to call in CSIS officials and officers, including people who were involved in those investigations, to uh, ask them how you arrived at this, to, to you know get a, a really good picture of this, and, and when, if it was sent up to the sixth floor of CSIS, how did you analyze this before it was sent to the National Security Advisor? Like, really find out how this information ended up, how was it processed? Did it, did it get to the Prime Minister or mm-hmm. didn't it get to the Prime Minister? But beyond that... You know, it shouldn't just be on Chinese foreign interference, which the CSIS director says is the greatest threat to the country right now. But we do know that Russian try to interfere in our in our elections. So does Iran. In the South Asian communities, I'm sure there's interference as well. It would it would be very helpful to this country to have a public inquiry. It's going to take some time, so that we have a, a really good understanding of how big of a problem it is and how we can counter it because you know sunshine and transparency is the best way to deal with foreign interference. Mm
0: -hmm. You know Tonda I do wonder about why the government chose this route. Is it because uh, they are dealing as we hear from liberals with sensitive information or is it as we're hearing from conservatives because liberals are afraid they're going to be painted in a bad light?
4: Well look I think that Bob's outlined a big challenge in all of this and confronting all of it. It's massive in terms of uh, influence and interference and who who are the actors involved. And so I, I agree that there's some merit uh, uh, to the idea that um, someone conducting a, an inquiry could hear a lot of this behind closed doors. I think where the government is running up against a bit of a challenge this week in confronting the problem politically is that I think in one sense, you know, there's a risk of going overboard and challenging the legitimacy of the election, which to date no one, none of the parties are doing. Um, but there's also, you know, the question of, uh, I think, it being something that's broader than just, you know, look, do we look at elections meddling or does an inquiry look at the whole landscape that Bob just outlined? And then what is it? Are we looking at a three- to five-year thing? And is there an issue of, or is there a mechanism whereby they can come up with some... Um, answers to how it was dealt with, who heard what, who knew what, what did they do with that information, more quickly uh, to address some of the more pressing and urgent concerns uh, before the next election, which which is likely within two years, right, Mm -hmm. for sure within two years. So, um, you, you know, is it because the liberals are only concerned about protecting sensitive information? No, there's a political calculation here too. Or is it just because, as the Conservatives say, Trudeau's covering up for Beijing? That's, I think, a ridiculous suggestion, uh, because they've offered no evidence that there was something beyond a government, what we can tell by a lot of the reporting, scrambling to understand what the problem is, And none of the documents say that. So so there you go. I I think that, you know, for any government, whatever the stripe, uh, to get their arms around this issue, you almost have to scope out a an immediate problem, and how do you deal with that, and then a broader issue, which is what the Committee of Parliamentarians has been calling for.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know what's interesting is I, I listened to you, Todd, and I'll bring you into in this, Catherine, because there has been the suggestion, not said publicly, but you know, behind closed doors and you know mm-hmm. the, the background interviews, the suggestion that perhaps the Liberals are going this route because it will take some time, and that will help people to move on to another topic and save them the controversy of this foreign uh, interference. Uh, what have you heard about that?
3: Well, uh, I I think, you know, indeed liberals thought this was just going to go away, right? Like the McKenzie affair, uh, you know, like a number of of subjects that conservatives have been trying to score political points about. Uh, The difference is that this time, this is a problem that has been going on for decades. Uh, A lot of people are aware about this. And, you know, it has been, um, it's long overdue. I mean, Canada has to do something about this and and has to confront this. And, you know, I think there's a reason why we saw these leaks going to media is because the intelligence community wants the government to act and really take this seriously. So, you know, the the feeling I get is that the liberals, you know, we're we're kind of hoping this would go away. We saw a variety of, uh, you know, Ways in which uh, the prime minister especially, you know, tried to deflect and, you know, say, well, look, look, this is a partisan issue. You know, the conservatives are exaggerating. You know, he also said that, you know, um, p- putting in question the result of the elections was maybe associated to racism. So there were uh, and even saying that, you know, maybe the, re- the media reports or the leaks just simply were not true. And to them this week come out and say, well, look, we're going to take a series of measures to take this. And, and today, uh, well, on Friday. Uh, Marco Mendicino coming out and actually saying, well, look, we're going to go ahead with a foreign agent registry. We're going to launch consul- consultations." So really, I feel like they're in damage co- control mode as uh, right now.
0: Well, I'm going to talk about Marco Mendicino in a moment. But, you know, we talk about the, the impact that this is having, and it was interesting, Bob, because Apicus came out with some new numbers today. And what I found interesting was this line. To the question, did Chinese interference change the election outcome? 37% of respondents said, they didn't know. They're not saying that the election was stolen, they're not saying that it necessarily, but they obviously have doubts about
5: the results. How troubling is that? Well, look, um, China Chinese interference in the uh, 2019 and 2021 elections did not affect the outcome. There is That's not the case, and none of the parties have been saying that. But uh, if it even affected one, uh, uh, one riding, that's one too many. So uh, this is, a, I think, what you're seeing with the, with the Liberals um, deflecting and ho- doing filibusters and in, in the Commons Committee investigating the Chinese interference is that they're really hurting on this one because this is a story that's gotten out of the Ottawa bubble. It's gotten down a Main Street. and People understand that something's really fishy here. Got to, you know, And the government has to deal with this issue much more seriously than they have been. What they tried on Monday, I don't think is going to be very successful, especially when you have Liberal MPs filibustering at a Commons Committee so they won't allow the Chief of Staff to appear. What I would say appear. about
4: those numbers you just yeah. said is, yeah. you know, that that just shows people are unsure they don't know what to make of it. The more worrying number in the that data for the government and anyone dealing with it, really including the Conservative leader, by the way, is that, um, you know, about 13% or so actually do believe the election outcome was not legitimate and another 12% are not sure, but maybe it was. So that's 25%. One in, whatever, four, I'm terrible at this, math. (laughs) One in four Canadians are actually saying the election result is not credible. In this country, it's almost like uh, it's, it's already... Such a huge challenge for both parties to both deal with the substance of the allegation and yet still protect Canadians' trust and confidence in the electoral system. That is a very tricky line
0: to walk. Uh, Trust and confidence, and that makes me think about the rapporteur because that that still unnamed person is meant to be Mm. beyond reproach, is going to be some eminent Canadian, Uh, still not named, Catherine, do you think all of this uh, controversy will pressure the government to name someone sooner rather than later?
3: Well, you know, we've already heard the government say it's not going to take months, it's going to take Mm -hmm. weeks to name this person. Now, I I wouldn't Which is
0: fast by Ottawa standards, but not (laughs) fast by, by, you know, Main Street standards. (laughs) To
3: get anything done, you know, a couple of weeks is is actually quite fast. Uh, Now, I think the challenge is to find this person, right? Because this person has not yet been named, is already criticized by, you know, notably uh, Pierre Poilievre, you know, he says that this is a fake job, that, you know, he's... Already saying that it's going to be a liberal insider, so uh, yeah, I, I think the challenge here is really to be to find this person, uh, to, to have, get this person to accept the job, and so I really wonder, you know. Where the the liberal government is going to find this person? Uh, maybe they should ask a someone who's affiliated with the conservative party I mean that could be interesting uh, But at the same time, I think another issue is the fact that the government will also be choosing this person Whereas the opposition parties uh, would certainly like to, uh, to, to get their input in that as well
0: mm-hmm. Well, listen, let's let's talk about Marco Menicino. don't have a lot of time So we gonna just put it out to the group, you know, here he is today announcing calls consultations to create a foreign agent registry
5: uh, consultation Are you surprised by the lack of urgency? Well, first of all, they've been talking about that since February 2021. This is ridiculous. If they want to show action, you can create a foreign agent registry right now. You can change the criminal code to make foreign interference a criminal offence. Uh, you know there are there are, uh, you can uh, uh, change the ceases act so ceases can be far more outcoming about these kind of threats rather than hiding behind secrecy all the time these are some simple measures that can be done i think yeah. that
4: the debate over whether to do a foreign registry uh, is one that's still alive and it shouldn't have just been started it has been ongoing like Bob said and as of last June they were saying they were starting consultations so where are the where's the result of that work the result of that work should have been a decision by now to say we will go ahead with it or as the government has suggested to do so risks tarring a whole bunch of communities with a, 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 a stigma uh, you know a blacklist and it's 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 but that's ri-
5: ridiculous that's whatever the stuff. case may be
4: yeah. it's time for them to have make made a decision yeah. mm-hmm. on it and roll out the decision and justify their decision is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. So. So I, I think that uh, you know the mechanism. We've seen it in other countries. Uh, the U.S. has one. The, uh, Australia has one. They don't function perfectly, yeah. but they are a way to yeah. actually register people who are in the employ or payment uh, by foreign actors, and so that provides a level of transparency, mm-hmm. like a lobbyist registry. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, mm-hmm.
3: it's a good first step. I, and we saw some pro-democracy activists actually in committee this week say, "Well, look, it's not perfect. We know this, but you know there is no consensus in the." Chinese community, you know, a lot of people want to see this done. Uh, you know, it's just going to to help us kind of identify. I mean, who is paid by Beijing as of the moment? But right now, what the Liberal government is doing is they, they seem to be kicking the can down the road and you know just saying, look, there's going to be another delay in in May. Maybe we'll do something about it. We're not sure what kind of form it's going to take. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think uh, you know we we still have don't we don't have any assurance that this. Registry will actually happen, or if it's going to happen before the next election.
0: Okay, well, it's been a busy uh, week back. They're back on break, but then uh, we'll reconvene when Parliament returns. Uh, Bob, (laughs) Catherine, Tonda, thank you. And once again, Tonda, congratulations. Thanks.
4: Thanks so much. You're welcome.
0: Canada added another 22,000 jobs in February as the jobless rate held steady at 5%, and that is near historic lows. But as many Canadians keep an eye on the Bank of Canada rate, could this good news job story turn out to be a bad news story down the road? To talk about this, we're now joined by economist Jim Stanford, who is also the director with the Centre for Future Work. Jim, thank you for joining us today.
6: My pleasure, Michael. Thank you.
0: Listen, let's stick with the good news first and foremost, or I guess you tell me if it's good news, because in addition to more jobs being created, the the report points to wage growth that is closing the gap with the rate of inflation. That has to be a positive note for people who've been struggling to make ends meet.
6: Well, this report is certainly good news for the 22,000 Canadians who found work uh, in in the last month, in February. So that's a a positive. That means they've got a chance to support themselves. It also is good news in the sense it shows the uh, interest rate increases that we've been grappling with over the last year have not yet, anyways, knocked the stuffing out of our uh, labor market. Uh, So that's positive. We've still got some gradual positive uh, job creation. And then the wage numbers, as you point out, the average wages have grown a a little over 5% year over year in the last 12 months. That's still not keeping up with inflation, but uh, it is narrowing the gap. And I think sometime in the next few months, we will see a situation where wages once again are growing faster than prices, which is how it should be.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the impact of this job report going down the road, because in normal times it would be a positive indicator. But in a year when the Bank of Canada has been hiking rates, will this job number uh, added with the expected 100, rather, well, excuse me, added with the unexpected 150,000 jobs back in January, will those numbers actually lead the Bank of Canada to hike its rate again in April?
6: Yeah, that's uh, the that's risk. I mean, we do kind of live in an upside-down world, uh, don't we, when uh, good news from the jobs front is seen as bad news in monetary policy or on the financial markets. Um, I think that uh, the bank is going to watch and see what happens. Uh, you know, they have a theory about inflation, and uh, their theory is that the inflation is being caused by a labour market that's overheated and wages that are too high. Now, I don't think that theory quite fits the bill. I think we're still dealing with some unique pandemic effects that have affected our price increases. And it is the inflation rate, not employment, that the Bank of Canada targets. So it could be if inflation comes down in the next uh, f- uh, few months, as most people expect. They will hold off on further rate increases, uh, even though the employment situation is stronger than they expected, and stronger, apparently, than they want. But uh, ultimately, I think it will be the inflation number, not the jobs number, that determines whether we get more interest rate hikes this spring or not.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting, and I don't have to tell this to you, but for people at home, of course, the the inflation target for the Bank of Canada is around 2 to 3 percent. But if inflation is the result of what you suggest here, global pressures, and you're not alone in saying this. And really unique ones at that when you consider Putin's invasion of Ukraine and the effects of the pandemic. Are there any other tools the Bank of Canada could be using to address inflation right now as opposed to bringing interest rates back up?
6: Yeah, I think that's a very good question, Michael. And I, I kind of wish we had asked it more seriously a year ago. You know, we kind of, when inflation first started taking off, you know, all the the people went to their old textbooks that they studied economics in after the wage-price spiral of the 1970s and said, oh, I know what to do when inflation takes off: increase interest rates and increase unemployment and take the steam out of the labor market. But what if that wasn't the source of this inflation in the first place, as uh, seems to have been the case? So I I think ultimately the bank needs to be more balanced and um, in a way gradual uh, than they have been. They have a new agreement with the federal government after all that says they're supposed to pay attention to two things, not just inflation. They're supposed to be promoting maximum sustainable employment. That's part of the bank's marching orders. And I don't think they've paid enough uh, attention to that. Uh, I do also think there's a range of other policies that we could use to kind of cool off prices. That could include price caps in certain strategic uh, industries like uh, energy. Uh, it could improve in, uh, include investments in supply chain uh, to address some of those uh, supply pinch points that cause the higher interest rates. And then uh, to count on government, not the Bank of Canada. Bank of Canada isn't the only player here. Count on government to help protect Canadians against the inflation while it lasts hoping that these after-effects of the pandemic eventually work themselves out.
0: hmm Fiscal policy, not just monetary policy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, the finance minister has announced that the federal budget will be tabled on March the 28th. What would you hope she does to address interest rates and really the struggle it's created for Canadians?
6: Well, uh, first of all, I hope that she doesn't kind of follow some other old knee jerk advice, which is that the government should cut back on its spending uh, at this moment. Uh, Again, if you don't accept that the problem of inflation right now is because Canadians have too much money in their pocket, it is rather that uh, of the effects of the pandemic then the government shouldn't be uh, cutting back spending anymore. Government spending has already fallen quite dramatically in the last two years from the phase out of all of those special COVID programs that were in effect. And the federal deficit, which was huge two years ago, has almost disappeared. They're almost balancing their budget this year. So uh, we don't need any big restraint uh, on spending from the government. I'd like to see some targeted measures to help Canadians uh, with inflation. Um, For example, there's this Canada housing benefit for renters, for low income renters. Rents are going through the roof right now. Um, In fact, partly because of the higher interest rates that we've had from the Bank of Canada. Uh, Another thing the government needs to look at in this budget is employment insurance. Uh, We've got a whole set of reforms that are supposed to be coming through to improve our employment insurance system. Uh, That hasn't uh, happened yet, and if we've got a recession around the corner because of interest rates, we're not ready for it with our existing EI system. We've got to fix that up very quickly as well.
0: Jim, uh, you and I, I suspect, will be speaking in a few weeks' time. But for now, thank you for this. Really appreciate the time. Thank you for having me, Michael. That is Jim Stanford. And that is our program for this evening. For everyone here at CPAC, I'm Michael Serapio. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again tomorrow.